Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm super fired up for this week's episode with Jen Sincero. Jen is the author of the Badass series you've likely seen. Uh, they've been New York Times bestsellers for uh, for years, actually. And the book that really struck me, I was part of a, a book club with a friend named T- uh, Taylor Conroy, and he had been building himself out of bankruptcy, and he was recommended, he said the best book he's, he's, he's ever read on the topic was this book, How to Be a Badass and Making Money. And uh, you know, I read a variety of finance books from Susie Orman to Tony Robbins to you know more kind of established economists. Uh, what I love about this book and, and Jen's uh, worldview is that she's very, very relatable and super self-deprecating and leads with a tremendous humor. It was one of the most readable books I've read on the topic of finance, and it really helped me rewire my consciousness um, towards one of embracing abundance for the great gift it can be uh, to all those around us, to being in service, and also to being, frankly, our own badass selves. So I uh, reached out to Jen. She was super gracious enough to come in um, when she was doing part of her book tour in LA and stop by. And we just had a really phenomenal conversation. I think both of us, uh, both of us wound up loving it. So I think you're going to get a tremendous amount of value during the course of this episode. She talks about basically being broke, literally in her 40s, to creating the, basically the, the life of her dreams um, through her, through, largely through her writing, and now being you know financially uh, free, ostensibly. Um, and in, in, she shares these insights in such a way that other people can sort of apply them in very tangible steps to help you rewire your mindset. So whether you're already financially free, if you're, if you're struggling, you're in debt, um, you know, most people in this country are in debt. So, uh, and I can relate to that. Uh, I've just actually, um, took a huge hit last year, I had my identity stolen and, uh, accumulated debt. Fortunately have now paid all that off and rebuilt some of my savings, but I can definitely relate to the stressors that come from finance and debt. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's a pretty powerful epidemic in this country. So it's a, it's a great pleasure to share these, these insights. This episode is brought to you by Thrive Probiotic. Thrive Probiotic is my go-to probiotic. I'm actually uh, doing a double dose of it as we speak because I just got off of antibiotics um, and am looking to rebuild my gut. So I think wh- whether or not you're, you're looking to sort of do a, a gut rebuild if you have leaky gut or gut permeability, which is unfortunately pretty epidemic based on the amount of glyphosate and other chemicals uh, that are kind of wrapping havoc on our guts, our gut is our second brain. It's our enteric nervous system. It's where most of our serotonin, our happy chemicals are based and also our immune system. So it's absolutely critical to keep your gut in good health and Thrive has a clinically proven probiotic that I'm a huge fan of and they've been gracious enough to offer uh, listeners of Peak Mind uh, a very nice discount. So if you're interested in checking them out, you can actually check them out at thriveprobiotic.com. They actually have a tremendous amount of clinical research there for your, uh, for your purview. And if you put in peak at uh, checkout, you get 15% off um, your products. I use their K2 as well as their pre and probiotic and love them. This episode is also brought to you by Foria Wellness. 
I use Foria CBD on a daily basis. Um, it's incredible for your endocannabinoid system. It helps with uh, anxiety. It helps just with overall balancing. Uh, it's anti-inflammatory. Uh, it is an incredible overall wellness tonic. I use their basics formula, third-party tested, made in the U.S., uh, incredibly high-quality organic product, organic MCT oil, organic CBD, full-spectrum distillate, and I've did, done a tremendous amount of research, and Foria is best in class. So I highly recommend you checking them out. It's Foria, F-O-R-I-A, wellness.com. And if you put in peak at checkout, you get 20% off all their products. Uh, and they have a variety of products you should definitely check out. I've, I'm on their basics uh, CBD uh, tonic. They have a 500 and 1,000 milligram, and, uh, and I love them. So definitely check out foriawellness.com and peak at checkout for a nice 20% discount. And without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce Jen Sincero. Jen Sincero. Thank you so much for being here, Jen. Thanks for having me. Yes. So, context is, uh, your book was one of my favorite books I've read, uh, and the top book I read last year, as a matter of fact. You're, so basically, you are a bad, this is the one I read, uh, you are a badass at making money. Would you Take a bath answer? with it. Yeah. Oh, I've read this two or three times, and listened to the audiobook. <coughs> so I'm, I'm deep, I've gone deep in, but you have an entire uh, badass series. What I like about your frame is it feels very uh, relatable and very accessible um, and very empowering, but as opposed to, say, other books that focus simply on tactics, I think you really go to mindset. So to start off, I know you, you sort of weren't initially, if I may say so, a badass at making money. Um, so, so can you take us? You put it that way. <laughs> so, can you take us back a little bit to when uh, we're in Venice right now? But when you were living uh, in Venice uh, in a garage, like, what was the what was your life like at that point in time? You know, my life was actually really fun because Venice is really fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know, riding my bike everywhere, hanging out with my friends. You know, I got to travel a lot. I would backpack all over the place. But I, uh, I was just scraping by, and the thing that I always say, I talk about this a lot, but I just think it's so ironic that, you know, when you don't make a lot of money and when you don't want to focus on making money, right, when you're, you know, I'm an artist, I'm a writer, da da da, and I didn't want to focus on making money, every decision I made was based on how much it cost, because I didn't have any money. So I was totally focused on money all the time. Yeah. But more about how to save it, how to, how to get the cheapest thing, you know, whatever. So... I was really just, um, you know, having a good time, but but really scraping by it, and really stressed out, and also feeling, um, you know, first of all, being broke is extremely boring in a lot of ways, because you can't do a lot of things you want to do, but also, I just felt like, you know, I got one life, and this is the best I, Jen Sincero, can do in, as, as far as money goes. You know, I would see all these people out there raking in the dough, and a lot of them who are, quite frankly, far less fabulous than I was, <laughs> so I was like... How can it be so hard for me? What is my problem? So, <coughs> excuse me, I think many people can relate to that on a variety of levels. I think I can speak from personal experience, you know, and I shared a little bit of this with you before the interview, but for me, you know, I got a lot of messages when I was, 
when I was growing up that sort of uh, money was evil or it was attached to greed. And you know, there were there are exemplifications, of course, in our society of people who happen to be rich that also happen to be, uh, you know, rich at the expense of other people in a way that's not aligned with values, so to speak, or at least my values. But and I, I love that you talk about this in the book. There's also a ton of amazing wealthy people that have been huge gifts to the planet in terms of their contribution. My, my worldview was, you know, to be spiritual or to be a good human or to be, you know, I focus, as I mentioned, I focus a lot on nonprofits and building these organizations. But like you, I mean, uh, you had a story in the book where you would like go to a dinner and, you know, you were talking about like, you know, you order the bread basket or you weren't hungry, you uh-huh. know, like this notion of like, you go in and you sort of act like you're like not mindful of the bill. But that was what was so relatable to me is like, there have been periods in my life where I was like, technically living like under the poverty level and trying to save the world you know yeah and Mm -hmm. and it was like you know i guess my my intention was noble but like you said i I sacrificed so much of life this one precious life that we have and so so what were your first steps when when did you actually come to the point what was the catalyst where you were like you know what no more no more bread basket (laughs) still do enjoy to eat all the bread (laughs) um I didn't have one, almost got hit by a bus, someone I love died, and I didn't have that. I did have a trip to India, actually, which, interestingly, was incredibly awakening. You know, it woke me up a lot, but it wasn't for the reasons that, you know, I'd go sit in an ashram or blah, blah, blah. It was more that I was scared out of my mind to go by myself. It was my one of my very, my very first big solo trips. And I just had this image of myself as this tiny dot on the other side of planet Earth, and nobody who loved me would know where I was. I wasn't bringing a cell phone, like, and I could just, like, disappear in a puff of smoke, and nobody would find me, and I was consumed by this terror. But there was another part of me that was just like, you gotta go, you gotta do it, you gotta do it, and, you know, cut to the second I get to the international terminal of the airport, I'm like, yeah! And I met great people immediately, and it was fine. But there was something about conquering that huge fear of mine, and having this... in amazing adventure I came back to Venice and that's when I was like I thought I would come back from India and be like thank God for my tiny teeny teeny tiny one car garage apartment and instead I was I had grown so much I was like I will start screaming and never stop if I don't get the hell out of this teeny tiny place because I had grown wow so so you had so you had this epiphany <coughs> which frankly I can relate to because I've lived in South Asia for two years actually mm-hmm. for me that was a huge catalyst in my own evolution because of seeing extreme poverty and wanting to support those living in extreme poverty but I also realized you've got to you kind of that saying of like you got to put your own oxygen mask on first like I learned that one later Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so so what were the steps you took when Mm -hmm. you had this epiphany coming back from India I started reading a ton of self-help books which I was super snarky about I write about it in my books how it's like I was too cool for school I didn't want to get busted reading them but I was like I'll do whatever it takes like I I'm done. Like, I made the decision to get rich. I really did. And that, you know, just even that phrase, I am going to go get rich, I'm deciding to go get rich, that is so loaded. And, I mean, if you told everybody that, you know, I am going to get loaded this year, they would look at you like they immediately go to, you're going to do bad things. You're going to compromise morals. So I didn't care about that. I just, like, really focused on the fact that I really wanted to make a lot of money and, of course, not compromise my morals. But uh, I started reading self-help books. I um, started going to any kind of money-making seminar, no matter how cheesy, like some place in 
Las Vegas in some conference room at a hotel. I would fly there and go to it if that was a money-making seminar. And I, you know, I was in LA, so there was tons of stuff going on here. I hired coaches. I went to every single women's entrepreneurial seminar. I did. I was out all the time working it and learning as much as I could. So it sounds like once. So it sounds like you made basically one of the fundamental pieces for those listening is that you made the unequivocal decision. Yes. And in that decision, and I love your voice through the whole book because it's so just real. Um, but but basically, in that decision, you're like, okay, I'm unequivocally committed to this. I imagine. What, what about your social network at the time? Was there was there pushback? Was there resistance? Or were oh, yeah. you just okay? Uh-huh. All my friends were on cult watch. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, keep an eye on her. I know, because you talked about like coming back, and I related to this too, because you know background music. But like you said, you you were in a punk band, and I can imagine like there's there's almost like this, which is strange, like a coolness factor in like being the starving artist, right? Or like like that identity. Mm-hmm. So what was it? As, what was it that enabled you to? kind of break through that initial resistance, right? Like, I think I, 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 I've done a bit of research, obviously, in anticipation of our interview and talk about sort of jet fuel and, like, yeah. most of the fuel is, is utilized in sort of takeoff. Yeah. What what what, uh, what did you do to keep yourself fueled amidst sort of the resistance, both within and without? I went to the spiritual gym, which I write about in all my books, too. You have to work motivation, tenacity, focus, determination, all that stuff. It's a muscle. And the reason so many people fail all the time is because they they don't nurture those muscles. They kind of stay the same way they are and, and do some different stuff and hope everything's going to change. But you've really got to keep that those muscles strong. So it was reading the self-help books. It was listening to music that made me feel so powerful. Like I put a moratorium on Neil Young when I was when I was going through this. I really did because I love Neil Young, but he's so depressing. Yeah. So I was I was all ACDC, Led Zeppelin, disco, like house, like whatever made me feel pumped up. Yeah. I meditated. Um, I had a mastermind partner. I hired a coach, which changed everything. Um, but but these things I did every single solitary day. I would read something, meditate, listen to music, and walk in nature, and and focus on all the mindset tools that we know so well now. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. She even changed the frequency of your music. Oh my I, God. I also love Neil Young. He actually hosted our first festival, but uh-huh. I can, but I, I also can relate to the fact oh that it's God. like it's that like yeah, it's not it's not the pump up. Let's like you know take on the world yeah. uh, kind of music. So okay, beautiful. So in the ask, I know you spoke briefly about a coach. And I think the coach was something like eighty five thousand dollars. And one of them was yeah. One of them. What? Okay, so this is fascinating because I mean. I can relate to the fact that like there are things I love the idea of accountability partners um, I think that's obviously that's something people can do for free but whether, whether that's quality or not that's that's neither here you know needs to be determined but on the on the hiring of a coach that could potentially be the catalyst I mean many of us look at opportunities whether it be a seminar whether it be you know a coach that require an investment how did you justify within yourself and, uh, that that investment was worthwhile, and then how did you, once you made that decision, make it worthwhile? It was one of the scariest things I ever did. So I won't even talk about the $85,000 one, because yeah. that one was terrifying as well, but the first one I did was $7,000, and at the time I was making maybe thirty grand a year, so seven grand wow. to me was a sizable amount of money. And I met this woman, and she did a talk at one of the women entrepreneurial thingies that I was at, and, and she helped women with their finances if she was focused on that and just what she was saying it was just like me 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 yeah 
And uh, and I was like, I gotta hire her. I know she can help me. Like I've been trying for forty some odd years to do it on my own, and I'm sucking at it. So someone else has to step in and do it. So <laughs> so I knew I wanted to work with her, and I approached her, and um, she's a great saleswoman. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, I think you can help me, and she's like, I think I can help you. And then she told me the price tag, and I was like, you know, this is where the decision comes in. When I heard seven grand, even though it flattened me, instead of coming up with a pile of very rational excuses, right, yep. for who I was and how much money I had, instead of looking towards the excuses, I looked towards the, how am I gonna pull this off? And that really is the big diff between pretending to make a decision and making a decision is you figure it out instead of backpedal. So, um, so I was like, all right, I gotta come up with seven grand. And my only way I could think of was doing, to do it was to put it on a credit card, and that was, so, because I was already in pretty serious credit card debt, but I put on my credit card and then I did every single solitary thing she told me to, and I tripled my income in three months. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, so much, so much of that resonates. Um, one thing that this notion of sort of unequivocal commitment, right? So you mm -hmm. said like, okay, I committed, so you're like seven grand scared, scared of living daylight, mm -hmm. but I'm gonna go for it. Um, I feel like with, and we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. For me, like when we decided to do decided to do global citizen, when I decided to be home with all, all, all that Dalai Lama event, all that scared the, mm -hmm. scared, and it, it seemed totally unreasonable. Right. But it was interesting because those were the two instances. I don't feel like I've done this yet, but yet with money, uh -huh. and, and which is why I'm loving this conversation. But in both of those in, in instances, that unequivocal commitment, especially when stuff got so hard that I was like, "This is yeah. I don't this is like testing me to my core." Yeah. That commitment was the only thing that saw me through. Exactly. And I think what to what, and then you speak about this a bit, but it also you know the universe also sort of rises up. The road comes up to greet you when you make that commitment. I feel like. Did you have that experience? Oh, it comes up to meet you and then completely disappears. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking about this this morning with somebody. How yeah. like nobody gets to the top of the heap without walking through the valley of darkness. Have you ever heard that um, podcast, How I Built This? Yes. Right? So all these people who start Whole Foods and all these, you know, who huge companies, yeah, the Whole Foods flooded, like, when they first, like, everybody has some major cataclysmic thing because the universe wants to see how serious you are. Yeah. And then it rises to meet you. Yeah. I really believe that if you hang in there and you keep going anyway and you've got the grit to see it through, it'll rise. Yeah, it's interesting because that what that brings up for me is almost it's almost that like the archetype which we've seen in like human mythology around the world since time immemorial, the hero's journey, right? Where it's like once you commit to that trek and like you said, sort of go through the valley of you know, Star Wars is obviously one example I think most people can relate to, but like you go you have to encounter the dark side uh -huh. and go to, on a descent that Joseph Campbell talks about that before the ultimate ascent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So 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 you were tested. What were some of the tests that you had to to overcome or some of the obstacles? Well, forking over seven grand was honestly one of the biggest because I didn't know her. And this is back when coaching was still even more snake oil sales that you're like, Do you yeah. have a degree? Who are you? <laughs> and uh, so just trusting my gut and trusting that she was legit and then um, you know started an online business she got me up and running with an online business and I knew nothing about online marketing and and again it was like I was a cool punk rock chick so for me to like have a squeeze page and all these dorky like on because online marketing is so dorky it's awesome because you make so much money but it's super dorky yeah so I had to really put my ego aside and not live in fear that like my punk rock friends were going to see my like do you want to write a book do you wish you had some help give me your name and email address like that was my little squeeze page and then i lived in fear that my new clients who are hiring me to help them write their books would 
my band was called Crotch. I wore a hair bikini. I was like, this is super weird now. And I was like, oh God, if they see that, they're going to ask for their money back. So it was this whole sort of super uncomfortable thing of allowing both sides of myself to coexist. That was really hard for me. And then she made me charge crazy prices. Like, oh my God. Like for me. And now I look back at those prices and it's so cheap. And then every time I ran the course, she made me double my prices. Really? Oh my God, yeah. So, okay, this, this is... This just hits me to the core because, <laughs> I, and, I, and I actually just spoke about this. I'm, I'm going to show this story because hopefully it's, it's helpful for, for the audience. But for me, coming from, and I mentioned this to you briefly, but like coming from Global Citizen, which, which we built something that wound up being very successful in the world, right? Um, and I felt very proud of it, but ultimately when my dad got diagnosed with dementia, financially I needed to figure out new, new moves and, and a different way of, of being. And so doing this sort of podcast in Peak Mind, felt very small like egoically I was like this is like I'm taking a massive step down and um, it was actually uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic and that notion of like actually take your ego away from it and just be like in a way a vessel but like you know she didn't let you know writing Eat Pray Love be the last book she ever wrote she was just like write a children's book or write a sketchbook you know don't even have the expectation and it was, it's only recently, like I've been actually recording some of this podcast for, for a number of years, but it was, I never put it out there because I was just scared what people would think. I was mm-hmm. like, exactly what you said, yeah. like, will my friends, my New York people be like, he lost the map, you know, he's in California, yeah, talking about yeah. all, the, all the woo-woo stuff, you know, and I'm like, totally. you New know, York like, is hard it's so people. funny. It's actually interesting that because also, this is a small thing, but like one of my friends happens to be like a, a relatively well-known actor and he was like talking to smack about people on Instagram who post quotes and I was like I started this like separate Instagram page where I would like which I was not my name which, where I would like post inspirational okay. quotes because it was what was keeping me going yeah. but I still had judgment of it I was like Trina you're doing like you're like being this like woo woo guy the funny thing is I started integrating some of those into my own personal work the ones that resonated and sharing a personal story and this guy who gave me gave such a hard time about it is like the one who generally now likes my photos first That's so I was funny. like it's interesting that you oh spend years worrying about what people think, not do, at least for me, not doing what you feel like is core to your heart. And then, like you said, you only get one go. For me, now I feel, I was actually at a Fleetwood Mac show, and what, what, what was the catalyst for me was I took myself on a self-date to see Fleetwood Mac, and they did this Tom Petty tribute. And I watched it, and I was going to go see Tom Petty the year before, but I was like, oh, I'll do it next year. Oh. Of course, there was no next year. Tom Petty passed. And, I, and that was the catalyst where I was like, and some, some opportunities only come once, yeah. and I'm gonna sing my music, you know? And, it, yeah. and maybe three people show up, like it yeah. may be no one, but yeah. it's, it's more about the act of doing it uh-huh. than attachment to the results. But I love that story about the guy being the one who likes all your stuff because you're so busy trying to please everybody, and they're not even paying attention because everybody's just thinking about themselves anyway. They're not totally. like, oh, he's posting quotes. <laughs> Well, 100%. Yeah. But, I, but I also can relate because I'm now sort of a bit of this, you know, I, it, it's stretchy, right? Like where you said, like, mm-hmm. like yeah, I mean, so there are snake or salesmen and there are, are hucksters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there are wonderful people changing the world online, right? Like more and more people, more oh, and more yeah. 8 billion people are coming online. And who are you to deny them of your song? And, but oftentimes the way that you do that, there's tried and true tactics to do so. Um, so 
as you started, and I believe this is around supporting authors with uh, becoming published, uh, writing their book. Was that They're your first? Writing their book proposals. It, yeah. Their book proposals. Yeah. Which is it? I want to talk to you about that at some point too, because I'm about to do that. But um, what what how, when you do started doubling prices, did you see less clients, or did it actually? Not at all. So that was the thing. It's like it was. I was terrified. First of all, I was terrified of the judgment. Like, yeah. who do you think you are? You money grubbing, greedy, fat headed blank. And uh, I definitely lost some clients, but I gained some new ones. And, and, and the more I charged and the more terror I was in, the more I showed, the bigger I played. Yeah. You know, I was like the most amazing book proposal coach you ever worked with because I was waking up screaming in the middle of the night. What if I had to charge? It was great. Wow. It really, money is currency and currency is energy. Yes. You know? This Okay, so this is where I'm now doing my own work because I've now committed in the same way, and this may be an, uh, this be a rich potential conversation, but I think I shared a little bit about this with you before. But my my dad, who I have a deep, deep personal relationship with, uh, said his core identity was family first, mm -hmm. and then secondly, being a provider. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think that he necessarily meant that in any way that would uh, be a negative. And I so value and respect his stand for his family and the way he provided for us. But what's interesting is I have a limiting belief now where I'm, I'm not going to find my partner until I'm at a certain level of financial abundance. And so there's all these different pieces. And I know you spoke in the book about you, your inner, the inner work you had to do to get to that place. Because it sounds like you really rose up, right? As you're, as you're sort of setting the bar higher and higher, you rose up with the tools and strategies and ways of being that enabled that you to attract the clients that would be able to meet that mm -hmm. that, that 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 level of, of 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 what you were charging. So for me, there's so much identity that's attached to money, and you said it's just currency, you know. But our stories are so embedded in it. How did you? I guess this this, this core question is like, how did you evolve the sense of self worth or the worthiness, right? Because I think a lot of us attach our notion of money and attracting money to our own worthiness mm -hmm. and oftentimes we'll sabotage ourselves uh, in the process and for me I'm now working to build those new muscles mm -hmm. right because I think I can actually be a greater contribution having built nonprofits and knowing that like 80% of that isn't the mission it's going off and asking people for money which I don't like doing right I'd much rather make the money myself and give it away philanthropically sure. or create a social enterprise yeah so now I'm like okay forget this like I want to make money yeah. and I want to make money I want to do well and I want to do good so yeah. but, but the two are not incommensurate whereas before I saw them as in some ways like yeah. not related they're totally related yeah the people who have you know Gates, Bill Gates freaking Gates Foundation I mean right. gives away how many billions of dollars yeah. a year I mean yeah. so it's so anyway, how did you, well, how do you support people or what was, what were the tools you used? And I know so much of this is laid in the book, so uh, I definitely recommend people uh, check it out. But the inner game, the inner work that you did to, kept, to keep building the muscles to enable you to stay in that sort of rise, if you will. It was reading the books. Yeah. I mean, and the books really worked for me. And there's also a med the guided meditations um, really helped me, but they were all based on money. Like I was a laser focused person about it's got to have to do with money if it's not if it doesn't have anything to do with me making more money i'm not interested in it so you cut out so you almost you like totally narrowed your focus i really did it's interesting because you also said that when you started writing your book um and i'm, I'm, in, I'm 
about to approach the book myself, so, and I really regret because I, I can see myself going to Ohio and having eight other book ideas, which keep me from writing my actual oh, book. Or so, and you talk about not diluting that focus. Yeah. How do you stay? How do you stay? Is it is it simply like okay, I'm committed to this one piece, and I have come hell or high water. Yes. This is this is it. Yes. Because there will be negative things that'll try and knock you off course, but there's also epic ideas. If you're like oh, me, you have epic ideas that they can also take you off the course. The best way to get more ideas is to start writing a book. <laughs> Seriously, every time I sit down, I am like the most creative genius I've ever met. <laughs> yeah. No. So you write them down. Yeah. You write the idea down, and then you get your ass back in the chair and finish that book. Oh my gosh, hell no, you are so unauthorized to start another book, because what's going to happen, which I used to do, which I don't do anymore, but I'd get, you know, I'd get an idea, I'd write it down, and then I'd be working on the book I'm supposed to be working on, and then it would get really, really, really hard, and I would think it sucked, and I would have a nervous breakdown, but you know what, this is not the book I'm supposed to write, I'm going to go write that other great idea, and you start working on that great idea, and then that gets challenging, and then you and then you go back and forth, and you know, a couple of years have passed, and you haven't done anything, yeah. so... Yeah, it's gonna get challenging. Yes. Anything worth doing is gonna get challenging, but you just stay with it. And then when you're done, then you get to do the other ones. Well, let me ask you a little bit about this because I think this, it's somewhat tangential, tangential, but very related. So you have uh, to have decided in your 40s to totally change your life and to, and to be the exemplification of that transformation is very inspiring for me. Uh, and I know for a number of others, you've, you've you know, you have a New York number one New York Times best-selling book. You've you've launched ostensibly. It's it occurs to me at least to be this whole profound transformative ecosystem around empowering people to really believe in themselves and their own song, their own gift, and put it out in the world in a way that also honors them. Um, what was it like to birth? Because you you talked earlier that you wrote books, so obviously writer it was one of your great gifts. But before those books didn't really do much. Right. How did you, what What was your way of being, or what did you have to do, or what do you attribute to the success of getting to a New York, number one New York Times bestseller? I wish I knew. I really, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I think, first of all, when you're writing anything, you have to tell the truth. Yeah. And, and I just, all I did was write the book I wanted to read, you know, because I've read a zillion of them, and Love there's it. so many great ones out there, I'm not dissing anybody else's books, because they changed my life. But I was, you know, I like story and curse words and yeah. humor, and I like, just give me the damn information. A lot of these books go on and on and give you a hundred exercises at the end of each chapter, and I'm just like, just tell me what I need to know. So I was very clear on boiling it down and putting it in bite-sized meaty chunks, because that's, I'm impatient. Yeah. Yeah, so. I yeah. like the meaty chunks. I also yeah. like that you put... Uh, these sort of like these mantras and these exercises not a hundred of them but yeah. but you sort of have the staircase if you will almost in the chapters that people yeah. can take to sort of support their own rise if you were to distill down and it's obviously a lot of this is 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 in the book but if you were to distill down for our audience like two or three essential tools that you found mm -hmm. in your process what would what would be some well decision obviously was one of them but what were two two or three of the other parts of your process that you feel like everyone can incorporate in theirs on, yeah. their, on their on their rise and making making money. Well first you gotta wake up and become aware of what your story is. So listen to the words you're saying, listen to what the people you hang out with say all the time, because birds of a feather. Totally. And because a lot of times we just take it as truth and we don't step back and be like, wait a minute, is that true? Like, you know what I mean? So for me, I was saying I can't afford it over and over and over eight million times a day. 
And when I decided to make money, I was like, I can't afford it does not jive with what I'm trying to create. So I forced myself. So the first thing you do is become aware of your broken record. And then you replace it with something that brings you more joy and is headed more towards where you want to go. So my mantra became, money flows to me easily and freely. And this is when I was still living in the garage, still driving the car with no grill, you know, like rickety ass me. But money flows to me easily and freely. So what that did is it forced me to start focusing on that instead of I can't afford it. Mm. And I started proving that instead of I can't afford it. And so what happens is we start to build foundations of truth and reality. So I can't afford it. I got a crappy car. I'm a freelance writer. You can't make money as a freelance writer. You know, I have a lifetime of proof that I suck at making money. I can't afford it. And we get really defensive and grouchy about our realities. Yeah. So if you come up and you say, well, what if you just said money flows to me easily and freely? I would be angry at you, right? <laughs> so it was only when I made the decision to not participate in that anymore and say money flows to me easily and freely that I started to prove that. You know, it was shaky at first. Like I find a buck on the ground and be like, see, money flows to me easily and freely. But I started to look for proof of that, and there were, you know, odd freelance jobs that came out of the middle of nowhere. You know, I'd get a tax return, or I'd get hired for something weird that I didn't think I could, and I started to appreciate that, and what you appreciate appreciates. Yes. And I, um, also, my energy was better, right? Everything is energy. Every, everything is about energy. So the energy of I can't afford it is very different from money flows to me easily and freely. So I had a brighter energy, and. And I, and I also opened myself up to see all of the opportunities to make money flow easily and freely to me that I could not see because I was too busy focusing on I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. It's all here already. So I, lo I love this. And I'm also like in the listening, probably certain people who, who, who may be listening, you know, like, okay, well that, this notion of sort of, sort of law of attraction as we focus, which I think is essential, right? No matter what you're doing, mm -hmm. there has to be a mindset shift and right thoughts become feelings, feelings become actions, actions become mm -hmm. our reality. Um, but as you're sort of almost reprogramming yourself, mm -hmm. right? Like you're kind of carving new grooves into the record, which is your life. Um, how important was, and it sounds like it was pretty integral, and the reason I asked this is because I used to think on things, but it, they wouldn't necessarily come. But once I started delving into the feeling of it, I felt like the feeling also was part, essential part of that reprogramming process. Do you, do you have any, for those who are, who are critical of, say, the law of attraction or, or, or have questions around it, do you feel that simply the, the mantras, like what are the actions that also need to be taken with the mantras to, to carve the effective group? Oh, yeah. I, well, the actions you take. If you're saying I can't afford it, you're taking very different actions than yeah. you're taking if you're saying money flows to me easily and freely. So it is all about that feeling and it's all about the energy. So then you're just like, okay, I'm going to make this true and I'm going to go do the scary thing. So the third thing I want to say that is paramount is yeah. you have to do something that scares the living crap out of you. Every, if you do that every day, your life will change so fast you won't know what hit you. Yes. So powerful. It's in Ferris's quote, basically. Someone's life is... Butcher, but you can tell the success of someone's life by how frequently they're willing to get uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 And so, and that's the thing. So, when you're saying money flows to me easily and freely, and you're opening up your radar to all of these opportunities that you could not see because you were looking at I can't afford it, something will be presented that you do not want to do, yeah. but it is right along, the, like, here's a coach for $7,000. I had made the decision, I was super serious about making money. 
and she presented herself. If I can't, I can't afford it. Would have come in real handy, right around right. then. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and you would have been stuck. Yep. Yeah. But money flows measly and freely, so I had to figure out how I could get that money. So that's that's where the action happens. Is is when you've got that a different mindset, you take totally different actions. Yeah. So okay, so let's let's fast forward a little bit. So you you hire the seven grand coach. You start to you know support people in um, in birthing their proposals. Um, what what did you do next? Because I mean, what, what where did you so you're, you go from supporting other people? And I think this is something at least for me that I can relate to, and I, I imagine many people can. A lot of people out in the world uh, who are working are working to support other people in the realization of their visions, um, and then not that how to put this. At the same time, you then go and start writing these books, which are really about you owning your own vision, but also to support other people. But it's you're not, in, in essence, you're not you're not writing other people's book proposals. You're you're stepping into your own proposal and your own book. Mm-hmm. Was that was that stretchy for you? And ha- if so, like, what did you do to move through that discomfort and say, you know what, I'm worthy of this book. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna write the You're a Badass series. Like, what what what? How did the journey move to you being able to birth that process. Well, I'd already been a coach for a number of years, so I was really comfortable with the material. And I, and I, but I, but first and foremost, I'm a writer, so I felt like I want to take a stab at this. You know, I've read everybody else's. I've got some stuff to say, and I think I could say it in a funnier way. So yeah. I was actually really excited. I wasn't going through the whole worthy thing with the you are badass stuff, but it. I had to walk through a serious valley of darkness, and it's a long story. But I basically had a huge uh, creative disagreement with. First of all, nobody would publish it. No one. Nobody. So that's the big nanny nanny boo boo. And for all those writers out there who keep sending it out and keep sending it out, and you hear this all the time, Augustine Burroughs couldn't get running with scissors published. Like you hear it all the time, and then it like hits the jackpot, and you're just like, <laughs> I am not because I'm an adult. <laughs> but a little bit inside. Maybe a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so nobody published it, and then the publisher we did get just did not, they basically wanted me to publish my rough draft, and, and I was like, uh, we didn't do any rewrites, we, she just wanted me to publish, she's like, it's great, what are you worried about? I was like, I am not putting my name on my rough draft, so huge fight ensued, and I wanted to pull the project and um, give them their money back and write up a new contract saying I'll publish it myself, but I was devastated because I have no interest in self-publishing. I think it's an amazing sure. thing for people to do. It, I am not the person to do it. And I worked so, so hard on this book and I believed in it so much and I was like, oh my God, if this is left in my hands, it's going to die in the water. But at the same time, I knew it wasn't done yet. And, and these were industry professionals telling me it was fine, but there was a part of me that was like, it is not. Like, I cannot put my name on this. So. I yanked the deal, and then they came back and were like, fine, what do you want? And they gave me like three weeks to rewrite the whole thing. I had to hire an editor to help me, because their editor thought it was done. So, and it was terrifying, and everybody was mad at me. And talk about like being a people pleaser, right? So I was like, they, they think I'm um, like a prima donna. Like yes. I felt like I was asking for it. It was such, oh my god, I was such a mess. But I am so glad I did it. So you, you stood in the fire, basically. Yeah. Like, as someone who initially would, was worried about, you know, what people would think and then stepped into the discomfort, that would have been, I mean, I can't imagine the faith that that would take to be like, okay, you finally get the book published. I know. They've accepted your final draft, which I'm sure most authors are like, hallelujah. Yeah, she, she like, was amazed. <laughs> She's like, I thought you'd be happy. I was like, I, no, I'm embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> so if, 
Okay, so so the book as you knew it, what 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 shifted from say you had published your draft instead of this book? I mean, it obviously it seems like probably much of your success because uh, I'm guessing the book that ultimately published was the catalyst for this entire this yeah. entire journey. Uh, what what happened in those three weeks? Did you basically like? Did, how did you transform amidst the fire to create this your masterwork? Uh, well, I hired my coach, the seven thousand dollar coach, yep. and she we we talked, and she's not right. She's great, but she knew me really well. She knows this material really well. She knows my sense of humor really well. So. Every morning, and we just go through a chapter of chapter. She'd be eating like a bagel, talking to me, and like changing every single thing around. She'd be like, that was so fun. Okay, see ya. And hang up, and I'd be like, ah. And I was at my mother's house in January in New York in like this filthy robe. My mother's always like, we should sell that robe. Because you wrote that robe. That robe. And I wrote, you know, for 20 hours a day. And then the next morning, I would wake up, call her on the phone, get a million notes, and... Yes. Yeah, so, so you're okay. So your process was basically like you had you found someone who really supported you that you trusted. Yeah. It's, it sounds like people who it sounds like having people in your corner that you can trust is. And they oh say my that, gosh. Yeah. That that notion of obviously who you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. How has your social network changed since uh, since your success? You know, I I'm, I'm honestly so grateful that this hit me in my fifties. Late forties, because I've got so many dear, dear old friends. I just saw a whole bunch of them last night. Yeah. Uh, and uh, who loved me? No, yeah. And I lost some along the way who thought I was, you know, a snake oil salesman or whatever. I thought the woo woo was too woo woo. Like I definitely lost people along the way. And also, who were uncomfortable with me making a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I I I've got. A ridiculous amount of really good friends. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So, so basically, you've you've surrounded yourself with dear old friends who you trust, who are yeah. also, who also support you in being you in the fullest expression. Of they do, but you do, you know. But I did have to meet new people because a lot of my friends are broke, and a lot yeah. of my friends are struggling in in ways that I don't anymore. And it is kind of hard to relate to some of that. I I sort of I still love them, and we still do things and whatever, but I honestly can't talk to them about some of the stuff that I deal with now because it's so out of their reality. Yes. So um, I have made friends, new friends that are sort of more at my level. Yeah, got it. So so what has been, now you're, you're several books in, um, what do you feel like has been in, in, in this sort of path and, and moving from person you were living in Venice some years ago, what have been some of the tremendous uh, uh, insights of beyond beyond the wealth that, of the material wealth that have come to you? Like, what have, what are the gifts of, uh, what gifts have arisen in your life that have resulted from this commitment to this path? Oh my gosh. Um, being able to give back, like we were talking about, like mm-hmm. I can give a lot of money away to things that I feel really strongly about. That is an amazing, amazing feeling. Um, being able to take care of people I love, or even if just buying them, being like, I love you, I love dinner. Yes. <laughs> um, that's amazing, by the way. That's just, you, uh, that's, that it, it seems maybe to some as like a simple thing, but I was reflecting on this because, you know, a lot of times people ask me, how did you connect to this person, or how do you connect to these people, like relationships stuff. 
And I think so many people approach relationships transactionally and like, what can I get from this person, right? Like, you go, I don't know if you have this experience, but like, you go to a networking event and you can tell when someone's just yeah. like, like assessing you, looking you up and down to say, yeah. what can I get from this person? You know, it's like, there's first questions like, what do you do with this and that? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's such a, at least in my view, a broken paradigm. And the notion of giving first and the notion of being a provider or a gift or, you know, to have, to be able to take someone out for a meal. I mean, actually one of the best tools in terms of building meaningful relationships mm-hmm. in my life has been that, like hosting mm-hmm. dinner parties. It's been one of the, right? it's, it's a simple thing, right? But I'm like, man, how did I create such an amazing community in LA? And it was like, when I moved here from New York, I was like, I couldn't take people out. I mean, you could take people out for dinner, right. but again, I was working for a nonprofit, so I wasn't like, you know, like yeah. restaurants in New York are expensive, so I wasn't doing a ton of that yet. But when, and then when I moved to LA, I was like, you know what? I'm going to host dinner parties. And like taking so people fun. out for dinner, the, the relationships that have eventuated from that have been like actually amazing. Breaking bread, exactly. you know? It's a real thing. Yeah. It is. And yeah. it's one of my intentions in terms of this process of embracing um, wealth and abundance is like, I would love to be the person who's never worried about like, what the bill says, you know, like, and just yeah. being able to be like, I got this. Yeah. And, and you know, also letting them get it. Like yeah. that makes people feel good too. But yeah. like, I'm re- I just bought my first house and I'm renovating the crap out of it. And it's going to be awesome. Amazing. But I'm so excited because I've got, I bought something that's got enough room for people to come and work on their own projects. And then we have sort of a communal feast every night. And that is my new dream. That wow. I'm so excited about. Is that going to be in Santa Fe? Yeah. Yeah, and it's already, so I'm already, I mean, I'm living in, there's a little casita on the property while they're ripping my house apart. I've already had, like, ten friends stay with me, and they're like, you guys, just wait till the house is done, but they keep coming, so it's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I was just yeah. actually a Joshua Trader friend who's, who built his properties yeah. with that same intention. Uh-huh. Like, I want to create a space. Yeah. And it, it was interesting because I was such a beautiful experience um, to be out there and, and to be a part of really this intention which was how can I add the most value to people mm-hmm. I care about slots, you know and like to whether it be a rich artist retreat or you know whatever 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 that is to be um, one of the insights I had from this weekend which is which is fairly simple but I but I just got a deeper sort of understanding of it is this notion of like living is giving and the more that you can give I feel like the more you you live the more you come to life it's very true and yeah. it's also totally selfish like I yeah. want them around yeah you know so you can give to yourself too like I'm happier when all my peeps are around yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you yeah okay so a, a couple as we sort of uh, approach the close a couple of I don't want to say necessarily rapid-fire questions but questions I like to ask um, a variety of folks from, from different industries um, one of which was a question that was asked to me some years ago, and it was really transformative for me at the time, which was, if there was one thing you were to add to your life, and one thing that you would take away, so one, one, again, one thing you're adding, and one thing you're removing, that would have the most transformational impact on your life, what would that be? Adding would be getting in really good shape. I love to hike and backpack and all that stuff, and I've gotten a little lazy, so I can't. So I'm really excited to get healthy and in shape and just really rock it out. Because you get, tell you, once the odometer turns on the 50, like 50 is amazing. It's my, it's one of my favorite decades already. Yeah. Uh, but 
the body, you cannot wing it anymore. She's just like, bitch, you gotta show up. I was like, <laughs> my body's been amazing my whole life with very little help for me, and now it's like, okay, okay. So, taking Pilates, like that, yeah. that, I'm really excited to up my game. Uh, and to take away, what can I take away? My impatience. That's, I'm really working, and I'm living in the perfect place. I live in a town full of senior citizens and lost tourists, so it's like, <laughs> be careful what you ask for. So, behind the wheel of the car, I am learning patience on a daily basis. Got it, yeah. The road can be a very strong, oh, uh, yes. strong teacher. Oh, yes, it can. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was uh, yeah, I was looking at that myself. I was like, I'm such a chill person, uh, except uh, when someone cuts you off in traffic. And right? it's like it's funny, like the degree to which like we become like we like flip a switch. Exactly. And I was like, we showed up at your house and punched you in the face. Exactly. Like, all they did was get in front of you. Exactly. You're like, it yeah. actually doesn't make that much of a difference. Right. You know? Like, right. but somehow emotionally, yeah. it's very triggering. Yeah. Uh, interesting. <laughs> Okay, um, now, as an author and a, an avid reader, um, and, you know, well, this audience is, is a, a lot of folks who are sort of committed to taking their life to the next level, give me two or three books or seminars, you can read seminars if you want, but book, as an author, I would be interested in books, um, and obviously yours, yours would be one of my top three, but what, what would be sort of some of the top three books that you, that you love that you think could be of greatest service to other people mm -hmm. that you either read recently or just sort of our, our go-tos in, in your own in your own journey? Um, as far as the self-help stuff goes, uh, some of my favorites, the money the money book that changed, that I read six trillion times is The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. You know, it's from the early 1900s. It's all oldy, tiny stuff. And it's super cosmic. It's also very short. Okay. I'm in. Yes. Uh, but I really, <laughs> that book nailed it for me. Um... I love Byron Katie's, uh, what's it called? I haven't read it in ages, but Loving What Is, yeah. which is all, have you read that one? I haven't, but I've seen her speak about the work, which I think was Yes, was exactly, and it's, again, yeah. very boiled down, very simple, and so profound, and I love her stuff. Um, what is another one? God, this is so, it's like when someone says, tell me a joke, you're like... <laughs> I like them when they come out organically. I know. Yeah. Um, oh, uh... This is a, this one I came to late in the game, but The Dark Side of the Light Chasers by Debbie Ford. And it's all about embracing our dark side because we've all got it. So it's when we push against it and shame ourselves and hate ourselves for what is basically human nature. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting book and, and it's beautiful. So The Dark Side of the Light Chasers. Okay, beautiful. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, let me ask you, so now you're, you're, you're several books in, I'm hoping you're going to write more, but was there, um, and we alluded to this a little bit earlier, was there a part in your process where one book, and I, haven't, I actually don't know the answer to this, but was there one book that was remarkably more successful than others, and was there, did you have any of that, like, sort of saying, like, how do I... Like I've got the next thing has to be be, be better than the last, or, or how do you keep in the process? Because what's powerful to me is you're consistent over time, and I feel like so much of this path, especially as we embrace, you know, this up leveling process, is that consistency over time. I think that's one area in which I was like, okay, like I, because I love traveling. Like my passion, if I could like just live life without giving like you know sort of like no cares in the world, I would just visit every country in the world and just yeah. be like. 
forever traveling, yeah. you know? Yeah. And it was actually last year where I was like, okay, something went really well. Um, actually, this is so vulnerable, but I'll share it. Like, I actually, like, on paper lost. So I, I, last year was the first year after reading this book that I committed to um, going after making money. And for the first time, and this is what was interesting for me, I've always been values aligned. Like, so I've always been, like, value aligned. Uh, and at sometimes at some sacrifice. Last year was during this whole the whole sort of crypto blockchain boom, mm-hmm. and I stayed value aligned. Like I, I focused on projects, and I, I think the technology is very interesting in its potential. I don't know, I emphasize potential, but I started to go after this. Okay, here's here's a here's a context where if I focus my energy, I could uh, you know potentially create that wealth that would give this family you know would, would give me the financial freedom to not have to worry about you know like I told my long-term care facilities at $15,000 a month, right? Mm -hmm. But I went in and found myself traveling all over the world and like, you know, basically the market went like this and then it went like this. And on paper, I lost seven figures and I went into, to be very honest, and I can say this now because over the last few months, I've totally taken myself out of it and created a new level of abundance, but I went into debt, like $70,000 in debt. And I actually never shared, I hadn't shared that publicly, but it was interesting because I think there's also this narrative of, you know, it's like you go down, you have the descent and you have the ascent, and then, like, everything's kind of perfect from there, where it's like, I think so much of life is this roller coaster. Uh, yeah. um, but what that taught me and the gift of that uh, experience last year was I just decided, because I, the, the, the negative side was I got, you know, I got hit by a car, I got my identity stolen. I mean, it was like the universe was letting me know, like I was in my own view that I was not aligned. But what was beautiful was I didn't choose, I didn't see myself as a victim. I was like, okay, this is just not working. Clearly not working. Right. I think many of us can relate to the fact that like there's times in life where you're like, for whatever reason, you can blame it on someone else. Shit ain't working, you know? Right. And so for me, what it did was it got me back to, and that's actually where I launched the podcast. It got me back to like, okay, because that my, the times in my life where I've had the greatest ahas were um, global citizen. I had, was offered before we launched that. I was offered a lot of money to do something that wasn't in line with my values, and I, I it was literally as simple as handing a drive over and getting a big check, and I couldn't do it. And I instead I went and volunteered, and that eventuated me meeting the the, the folks that we launched global citizen with. And with Peak Mind, it was like that concert where I was like, you know what, I can't, I gotta put, and I went into podcast, which doesn't make any, you know, it's not a money making uh, enterprise, but I was, but it's led to so many different, and that's what I realized was I was like, oh my god, actually, what this is crazy, like I just like, so I've just this is a newer thing for me, but like in the last couple months, it's like I put out that which I was sitting on for a couple years because I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna go back to my vision and my values. And it has led to, I mean, it's it's earliest days, but like, yeah, just over the weekend, another person was like, we'd love to, we love what you're doing, we'd love to back it, like, you know, so it's like. It makes the, so much money. Yeah, the, 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 it, it's, and then. This is what if you let yourself. If you let yourself, which I will. <laughs> and this had a book agent. So I was like, this, hey, love, I'd love to work with you. And I was like, well, this is wild. Like, I've a realigned to the values. So. So in essence, my big kind of takeaway in this process has been like staying true to like my core and now embracing, again, I think this goes to my issue, it doesn't sound like it was yours, but the notion of like the worthiness of the pursuit of money as still totally aligned with my vision and oh, values. totally. Yes. No, it's the most loaded topic on earth. I yeah. think more than sex and religion and everything, I think money 
flips us all out. It instantly means you're a bad person. We equate the desire for wealth with greed. Yeah. We really do. You know, the second you say, I want to go get out and get rich, we instantly go to, he's going to do screwed up stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so... It's messed with me. It's, oh yeah, it messed with everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, money does awesome, like, we wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for money. Totally. You know what I mean? We couldn't share any of our gifts if it wasn't for money. Totally. But we go to that dark place, I think it's very interesting. I mean, it really, and that, that again, is it's all about giving people permission to go yeah. make money. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, to I totally segue from the question I was asking yeah. into that. But, but thank you for listening because it's actually like, it's super vulnerable for me to share that publicly. But I'm actually now having like, dug myself out. And actually, let's ask this question because there are many people, especially in, in the U.S., that are dealing with uh, debt. And I would say for me, when I was back in debt, it messed with my head. Like I had big, like, like I do not like owing people yeah. Um, but so many people are encumbered by debt or stuck in job cubicle jobs where they're like, you know, beholden. Maybe they have a couple of kids and they feel like that's totally irresponsible. I've got to stay. But their their dream is sort of their song, if you will, is slowly dying within them. What do you have any thoughts or insights in your own process for those folks who are in that place, maybe where they're in debt or they're stuck in a cubicle and they're like, they have this dream, but they don't know where to begin. Um, have, have, do you have any insights in your own personal process on how they can start? Um, I think that if, you, if it really is financially driven, yeah. do the numbers. Like, how much money do you have saved? Mm -hmm. How much money do you need to ma be making to start doing something that lights you up instead of makes you die slow, boring, painful death? Yeah. Right? So do the numbers first. And then act like your life depends on it. Like, do a scary, terrifying thing every single day to move yourself in that direction. It's honestly what I just said before. Like, yep. figure out what your excuses are, your broken record, change the story, and then go scare the crap out of yourself. I love that. And the, the, the other piece that I'm really taking away from this is it's, it's this notion of, like, who you surround yourself with in that mm -hmm. process and pe having people that will have your back, um, even especially when things get scary. Well, and also, it's not usually your closest friends and your family. <laughs> yeah, that's it, true. In fact, it's most often, it's, it's honestly the most common question I get. It's like, what do you do when the people closest to you don't support you? Yeah. And the reason they don't support you is because you are killing their buddy. Like, you are killing the person that they know and love and creating so a new person in their space. And you are also holding up a mirror saying, if I'm going to go, we're all in the same soup, but I'm going to go do this awesome thing. You're showing them that they can do it too. And people get grouchy when you give unsolicited advice and unsolicited information about how they can live their lives too. Even if you don't say it in so many words, just by doing it, you are proving something that really upsets their truth and their reality. So they get grouchy and they, in the form of worry, like, you know, well, nine out of 10 restaurants fail. Like, you know, you know that already, but you're gonna do it because <laughs> that's your dream, right? So yeah. the worry thing and the cautioning thing and the making fun of you and, it's always from the people closest to us. You know, Joe Schmo across the street's like, rock on! Totally. But your wife or your best friend or your parents, they're the ones who bring you down. It's really interesting. So you've got to make friends with people who are where you want to be or who support you. And honestly, in the old days, I didn't I didn't have anybody like that. And I, uh, that's all the coaching programs I took. The group yeah. coaching, my coach herself, you know, all the coaches I worked with. I didn't pay for my new friends. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's super powerful because you're right. Like, people have 
fears for you and worries and whatnot, and that's often the projection of their own story. Oh, yeah. And if you if you get stuck in that and you never go, you know, you're forever yeah. forever anchored, so to speak. Yeah. That's super okay. powerful. Um, man, where can people find you online? JenSincero.com or youareabadass.com. That's easier to spell. Yeah. This is, <laughs> by the way, one of my favorite books. It literally was. I'm so grateful to you, and I want to just honor and acknowledge you. I mean, it, it literally has been. It's been in the bath. It's been, I've read this thing. on it, apparently. Three, yeah. yeah. It was, I don't even have dogs, so there's no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've read it, I've read it like three times, uh, listened great. to the audiobook, mm-hmm. and it's, it's been really supportive in supporting me through a very challenging time to sort of reprogram and rethread my record um, and, and train this new mindset. And also, uh, which is not necessarily a revelation for you, but a revelation for me, start stepping into the, the, true, the truth of abundance and contribution being totally interrelated. So yeah. I want to honor you because I know you've served so many people, but just from a, 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 you know, on a one-on-one basis. We hadn't even met until today. Um, and actually, we probably never would have if it weren't for like the mindset mm-hmm. tools that you shared in the oh, book. Because wow. what I wouldn't have had the like I didn't know you. I literally like went on your webpage, tracked on your publisher, reached out to your publisher, and this Not platform bad. is now helping me to eventuate my new ecosystem. So rock on, brother! I want to acknowledge you and thank you so much for that. Well, thank you for having me. It's yeah, been really fun. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. That was great. I hope so. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I listened to a bunch of interviews and, uh, you know, I, I just was, I was moved by. No, you're great at it. You yeah. really, you're, it's good. good. It's good because it's, it's like a conversation, which is what people want to hear, you know? It's like. Yeah. I don't try to, like I prepare. I, I'm yeah. very intentional about preparation. Yeah. yeah. But I don't, like, I, it feels sometimes, for, like there's a reason Joe Rogan's podcast is as big as it is. I'm not saying Joe Rogan's necessarily like. The panel's been podcasting. I just have to pay attention. To yeah, yeah. If you got to balance, it's totally fine. Um, but, um, but he's. I mean, his podcast. Which, by the way, whenever your next book is on, have your publisher get on that podcast. Joe Rogan. I mean, he is. He is. He's a machine. I think he's almost like Oprah was when in her heyday really? in terms of conversion. Oh yeah. Like huh. if you like, there's a few. There's a few podcasts that move books. Oh. Uh, Lewis Howes, I'd say, is a good one. Joe Rogan, uh-huh. uh, Marie Forleo, yeah. folks like that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Joe Rogan, it's just he's so conversational, like he uh-huh. and unfiltered. He goes live, uh-huh. f bombs are out, like this and that. But uh-huh. like people relate to the authenticity. Yeah. 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 I have one personal question I'd love any insights on, which is I've got offers for two public, like, and I think it's more about, frankly, the list, my, my audience size and the marketing potential uh-huh. rather than necessarily the codification of the idea. But two publishers, one um, is Celeste Fine um, from Park and Fine, which evidently is really good in the okay. sort of nonfiction wellness space. Great. And then another is a gentleman named uh, Bird Liddell, who's uh, now at UTA, who had his own agency, Waxman, I think, before. Okay. Supposedly both are great. Great! Um, how do you freaking choose an agent? Who do you like better? Well, I really like... Bird was harder to get on the phone, and I was like a 90% on going with Celeste, just mm-hmm. because... I actually like the idea of, like, not that it's... And this is just about my, my own concept, but I was like, I like the idea of working with a, a, a powerful woman. Mm-hmm. She's like... On, I mean, there's so many lists, and like, who's to say the veracity of that? But on a list, she's listed as like top five agents, and she's worked with a bunch of friends, 
each one of whom have written first-time books, and all of them have gotten over six-figure deals, which I think is pretty unheard of That's for first-time authors. Bird, on the other hand, works with different authors, not generally as much the wellness authors, okay. but he gets, like, insane deals. Okay. So, like, one friend who he helped, now, granted, he, had a, he has a, a higher number of social media followers, but um, he got a $600,000 deal for him for his first book. Wow. And I know he secured, I don't know for whom, but he just secured a $5 million deal for someone. Wow. So, so I'm like, so there's a little bit of like, and I don't want to just go after the number, and I'm sure Celeste secures big, huge deals too. Yeah. But I was like, okay, this is so hard to choose. I don't know. But, but what I liked is Celeste, so I think for better or worse, works with a team. So uh-huh. I've only spoken to her associate. I think the advantage is you get the, they help you a lot with the proposal. Okay. So they'll they have like a proposal process and they help you with it. I think with Bird, he would pro- either he would probably be like spend five to ten grand and like hire someone who will make a kick ass proposal and right. then we'll go off and like get you. But but also uh, what I was told by the guy who referred me, who's the agent of the guy who got that the six hundred K deal, is okay. like he's referred to several people to Bird and Bird is not like yeah I want to represent you. He's not like oh. he's not like yeah. everyone like that. Yeah. And it was only when I shared with him the bigger vision because I want to do a big global. I want to do like, so I'll share this with you. I haven't shared it with anyone, but I want to do, I want to, this is an idea, and I hesitate to share ideas before they're born, but my vision is now to, sh- to do in 2020, it's her, the 50th anniversary of her birthday. So I'll see Dalai Lama's 85th birthday, and I hosted his 80th birthday. So I'm thinking about hosting a campaign with a variety of different influencers, like we do with Global Citizen, around and the book is around this notion of the inner work and the outer work, mm-hmm. but around meditation and reforestation and calling it breathe and the notion of like, you know, the breath in, breath yeah, out and our connection geez. to the environment. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and I want to tie in people's participating in a campaign to, uh, to reforestation and planting mm-hmm. trees mm-hmm. and ideally also tie the book into reforestation mm-hmm. and planting trees. So I'm, I've got a whole marketing campaign that I want to do, which I haven't really fully shared. But well, I I don't. I mean, it seems there's, a, and it's funny because I now know a lot more about agents than I used to because I just had the same guy for 15 years and just trusted he was doing a good job. And yeah. you can sell a book for a lot of money, yeah. but there's a lot of follow up. And so my new agent sells books for lots of money, and she's a beast. She went through all of my contracts, my back pass contracts. She's always on it. She's just like, there's a lot more to it than just getting the big advance. And so you want somebody who's going to really support all, because you're not just a writer. You know, right. you've got all this big stuff you want to do. So who do you think, if this guy's hard to get on the phone, yeah, and he's wooing you, yeah, I would be careful. Okay. Good. But That's if you, counsel. but you know, it really is up to you, whatever you feel good. But I feel like if you, and maybe it's neither one of them. Well, what is, what's your, so your agent, what is it about her that so resonates with um, And it's funny because I interviewed a bunch of people and I loved, so I really, God, it was a really hard decision for me too. Yeah. She's at ICM and I liked being, and I also, my stuff, I'm writing a screenplay, I'm doing a lot of comedy, so awesome. I want I wanted something that was more entertainment yeah. oriented, so yeah. I really wanted somebody who was at an agency, so she was at an agency. She's young, she's, um, I, she gets my voice really well, she, I just liked her a lot and she's, she's a tiger. <laughs> and she used, to, she used to be an attorney. Oh, okay. You That's know? helpful. And so, contracts. yeah, so she's good at contracts. I trust her. 
I uh, have a friend who's doing incredibly well, who is, it's, and I met him, she introduced me to him, uh, it's um, Kevin Kwan, the guy who did Crazy Rich Asians, yeah. and he was telling me, he's like, yeah, good, she, like, you know, took his book out of ICM, actually, she's like, this, and he that movie like, went crazy, John directed. it went insane, huge, so she took it out of ICM, she's like, this, and it was his first book, he's a nobody, and she's like, this is a total screenplay. And she shopped it around other places. She wanted it to be with the right people, not just with her agency. So, and wow. yeah, I just, I really like, I'm happy to introduce you to her. Yeah, yeah. great. Well yeah, done. she's great. And she, you know, who knows if she's the right one for you. I mean, it sounds right. like, yeah, I don't know. It, and it's, it's hard to tell, you don't know. And sometimes you just don't freaking know. You just go with who you like and yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I just, I'm, I'm What's beautiful is I'm committed to the process. Like, I've been thinking about it for a while, and now yeah. I'm just like, it's time. I mean, the, the challenging part for me, to be honest, is, like, I kind of put my life on hold for a few years. I mean, not to make an excuse, but, like, based on what's going on with my dad, because I did some, like, super deep work around it. Mm -hmm. And I was always like, he, he could pass away, and then, like, mm -hmm. like that's going to be a whole thing. Like, you know, the house down, this and that. And so I sort of put my life on pause, and then I was like, you know, he's not actually going anywhere. <laughs> So, uh, uh, so I was like, uh, I don't think I need to pause my life anymore, yeah, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, you know? And so so now I'm just kind of like, I've, I've sort of re-aligned yeah. and still like spending time and loving him up. And also like, he would want me to, you know, go out and shine, so. Of course he would. Where yeah. does he live? He's in Chicago. Oh, okay. Which right. is, which is, uh, which is a great city, but God, God love people who live there. I mean, eight months a year in the snow. Okay. I live there for like half a year. I love Chicago, but yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it's it's not. Yeah. this is like now that I've experienced this, like the West Coast, I'm like. I know. It's hard unless I want to be in like Europe or somewhere like. Right. I know. I know. I feel like that would be that would be the alternative, but right now I'm like this feels good. Yeah. I might get a place in Ohio, and yeah. then like do yeah. the traveling from there. Yeah. But Santa Fe is a good choice. Santa Fe's good. It's cold though. It's in the mountains. It's seven thousand feet up. It was snowing when I left, which really? is not. And we we've had a excruciatingly brutal winter it's never that bad yeah but it i love the desert like i really am a desert person and um and i needed an airport close by because i travel all the time too yeah and but it's near colorado and utah and i'm i just love it out west like i love just the mighty american west and going hiking and so i yeah i like to be um and and again california like yeah i had my time here i was here 11 years i loved being at the beach, but it's just too damn crowded. I can't do it. Well, it's crowded and also, like, to be honest, once you start getting in the money conversation, you pay a lot to live here. Yeah, yeah. You know, state taxes, mm -hmm. not a joke. Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of people. I've seen a lot of people move to Austin, Texas. A lot of them are like, you know, California's played out, but I also know they have big exits that are yeah, about to happen. Yeah, so yeah. I'm like, it's almost funny. Like, my friends are moving to Puerto Rico and Texas, so I'm like, yeah, maybe it's played out, but you're about to do an exit, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> so totally. it's like, yeah. it's like, well, that's fair enough. Like, if I had an exit and that was a $10 million decision, I'd probably leave California too, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know that much about New Mexico, but I was just yeah. like, um, yeah, I, I'm open. Like, I'm going to go visit Texas and check it out. Yeah. See Austin, but. I think overall, I agree. Like, I think the desert, just being in nature for me is important. Yeah. But this is such an evolution for New York that I'm happy for now. Oh, yeah. I think eventually I might need to go, like, Topango or somewhere. Even yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, you know. I mean, and you can't be in a bad mood. I mean, it's always nicer. You have the ocean and the mountains. I mean, it's, I, I really appreciate that. I just never, L.A., just, even just visiting it, yeah. I just, it's not, not the place. You. But 
this part is. Like yeah. this part, this little pocket in Joshua Tree and Ojai and stuff. Yes. But uh, yeah, and, you know, there's stuff about Santa Fe that's not great. But I, I love. I mean, talk about nature and 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 you have a little city. They have really good restaurants. There's all the bands on tour have to stop in Albuquerque or Santa Fe because. I-25 and I-40 meet in Albuquerque, and eight hours in any direction, there's, you know, you have to drive for eight hours to get into town, so they're like, well, screw it, we might as well play in this dopey town, so I've seen amazing concerts, a band that you would have to, like, kill ten people to get into to see out here or New York, no and then way. it's not even full, they're my band, I had a band when I was in Albuquerque, we used to warm up for people I loved, I was like, this is insane! What? Yeah! Because there's not, it's not that big a town. Like I'm going, the uh, Crystal Method's playing. Oh, sh- I gotta make sure I get to it. It's like some dopey dive bar that I'm sure won't be full. I, I just, I just, I don't know. It's awesome. That's great. That's like a hack. That's like a life hack. You're I like, know. I'm gonna go where the place, like where all the dope bands are gonna be, but I don't have to like. You yeah, know, that's a deal. And really, it's because they're all on tour, and it it's eight hours from Phoenix. It's eight hours from Denver. I don't even know what's east of us, and maybe eight hours from Austin, maybe more. So if you're on tour and you could take I-25 or I-40 and you're stuck in our dumb town, they'll play. No way. I love that. Good life decision. I know. I'm going to make them. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I'm going to do another Southwest trip at some point. I feel like I I love Antelope. I have relatives in uh, Phoenix, so I go down Uh there, but not a huge Phoenix fan. That's horrible. Yeah, but I do love the Southwest. Mm -hmm. What do you do? uh, one, uh, One last personal question, but... What do you do, like your process, sounds like you went to your mom's when you birthed that that, that uh, first book. But I'm like, I kind of want to build this big campaign. Like I always visioned Bonnie bearing it, like basically you go into a freaking cabin and like turn like turn off all your devices and like sit down. Is that what you do? Because mm-hmm. I was like, that's always how I envisioned it, but I'm like, if, you're try, if I'm trying to do all this stuff in the world, is it like, you know, do I need to like just start a morning routine and get up three hours early or like? <laughs> I don't know about you. It's like, Fuck the morning routine. You get a robe, you yeah. get a bathrobe, <laughs> and stockpile food, and you do not leave your house for a month. Yeah. I mean, I've written them all in a month. You've written them all in a month? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm in on that process. I could do a month. Right? Yes. But, uh, I mean, it's and okay. so, just to answer, because we didn't get to this, but, so you are a badass, New York Times bestseller list, millions of yeah. yeah. just la la la. Second book comes out, I'm like... I, so I knew I was going to write the money book because my whole thing was around money. I knew yeah. I could go deeper and da, da da And I was like, okay, I've said it all already. Like, there, this, this, I, I can't write. I, I was just like, this book is going to be a total caricature of the first book. Because yeah. I'm like writing my little funny stories and putting little things on them. I was, I was mortified. I was so scared. It's so funny because I went to this, I went to this college called Colorado College, and you take yeah, it. I know Colorado oh, do College. You? Yeah, yeah, totally. So it's on the do one course at a time. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I have learned to cram like a ninja. So and uh, I've written all of my books in a block, and um, which is three and a half weeks. Actually, it's not even a whole month. It literally is almost to the day with my books. So I wrote You Are a Badass. I, got a, I don't know if you've read You Are a Badass, but I talked about the farm with the goats that I found. Yeah, yeah. So I went up, and they, I didn't have Wi-Fi, just coincidentally, thank God, and I was just, it, that was an idea. And they destroyed the place, right? They destroyed the place, but it was such an idyllic setting. It was, oh my God. And it was everything I asked for. I've made a list. I'm really into lists. My house, dude, the house I just bought. I'm going to start doing lists. Everything on my list. So, um, yeah, so anyway, with Badass and Making Money, I, um... I'm gonna tell you about that though. Right? Oh yeah. So every and 
You Are Badass is actually my third book. So all my books I've written the same way. Yeah. So when I wrote this book, I was like, okay, at this point, I'm not going to pretend I'm going to get up three hour early. Like, I know how I, how, I, how I roll. But I was like, okay, this book is so fucking sophomore, like, sophomore slump scary that I'm going to give myself two months. Like, I'm yeah. blocking off the calendar. I have two months to hole up and write this book. And then I spent the, and actually, this really screwed me up physically. I, I spent the first month just crying. Really? I could not write. <laughs> I just cried and cried. I would sit in my, in front of my computer and cry. I couldn't write. I was so terrified. No way. I was like, the, I, and no, my, my publisher wasn't like, it used to be better. Nobody. It was all me. Just like, it needs to be so brilliant because it needs to be better than you are a badass. And, and so then one day, like, I just remember, I'm in my, I, I, I'm really into robes because I keep you yeah, warm. So, like, totally. in my bathrobe, and I go out to my driveway, and I just lie down in the gravel, and I start to cry. And I'm, like, lying in my driveway in my robe, and there was something about the patheticness. Like, that was the lowest low I did. And then I got up and went in the kitchen and wrote the whole book. No way. Yeah, but, um, but I also, I was living in this house, and the God, out in like horse country. Everybody was on five uh, acres. Everybody had horses. You have that huge. So I love the ocean, but New Mexico, you've got that sky. So it's like the ocean's on top of you. Totally. So it's just chug, chug, chugging on top of me. And and uh, and I've got this house. It was such a great house, but it was fucking freezing because it was all windows and it was no winter. Way. And so I'm freezing and the heat, it wasn't winterized. Like it didn't even have heat in the kitchen. It's such a crazy story. And I shouldn't have lived there then, but whatever. So I'm in this freezing cold kitchen, and it's hilarious, I'm running a book on abundance, and I've got like a shitty <laughs> heater, I, I'm sitting in a chair that I bought at a yard sale, like I don't know why, and I ended up, and I just sat in this position and typed the whole thing, and when I was done with my book, I had walked with a cane. No way, because your foot was so asleep? My whole leg. Jacked? My whole right side didn't work for like six months. Wow. It was really scary, so that's when I say like I want to get in shape, like it's a hundred times better. But it's still a little wonky, so I need to really work yeah. on it. There's a place called Human Garage if it gets like if you really yeah. want to get like California woo woo on on the physiology. Oh really? Yeah, they they did like this whole it's wild like alignment thing. Huh. I mean, I can't describe the full science, but it's all about your fascia, right? Like the yeah. connective tissue. So they put you on a grid, and they like take a picture and they assess your posture mm. and like how you move, and then they start doing you, this whole treatment protocol. It's like two three months. The first adjustment they did. Which, by the way, I thought would be like, yeah, my spine or chiropractor, or whatever, was my jaw. Interesting. And they dig in the jaw, and they're like, I mean, it's not, it's not like, I mean, it's not pleasant. But right. at the end, I got up. I literally felt like I was high as a freaking cut. Right. I felt like I had like smoked a massive joint or something. Mm -hmm. Like I would, I was like, wow. And I walked, and then they took a picture of me, again, mm -hmm. and my posture and alignment was totally different from that one session. Wow. And then they do that throughout your whole body. I didn't have the same like mind up, but I realized I store all my stress in my yeah, jaw yeah. and in my hips. Yeah. So when they did those adjustments, yeah. But yeah, it totally changed my. That's well, you have to keep being. It's the thing is because your body memory. So I'm doing Feldenkrais, and oh okay. That that reteaches your body how to move. Yep. And Pilates, and I'm doing it every day. Pilates is great. Yeah, so I'm I doing Pilates. That. Yeah, so that, like, so I'm on it because I am on of it. The cane, I, I, it was like a grandpa cane. It was like some steady, <laughs> like, carved handle. I, like, needed the padding and a big ball. <laughs> it's like, would, it was. It would be cool to see you picture, like, blanked it out. You had, like, like, like the cane with, like, the diamond. Oh, yeah, no, no. Like, I had yeah. the fantasy of that. And I was like, uh uh, I need to use this bitch. Like, it was so <laughs> serious. Oh, my God. I, I like the walker. I, 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 it's funny until it's not funny. I was yeah. like, oh my god. That's pretty epic. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, well, thank you so anyway, much for yeah, coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. That was really nice to meet you. I had a good time, yeah. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Jen Sincero. Um, I just really got a lot of value out of the conversation and hope you did too. If you did, go ahead and, uh, and tag me at Michael Trainer and let you know what you garnered from the episode. Uh, I will share it with Jen. Um, she's an absolutely delightful human. Um, if you did like the episode, it'd mean the world to me if you shared it with someone you think that would find value in it. And uh, in addition, if you went out and, and basically gave us a nice rating and review, that enables us to actually move up higher in the algorithm and enables the, this content we're putting out for free to be seen and appreciated by more people. So I, I'm so grateful for you guys being a part of this community. You can always hit me up with a DM anytime at, at Michael Trainer um, across all platforms, Insta, Twitter, etc. And... Um, With that, please go out there and live your inspired life.